but we'll see you in court. <laughs> Thank you. Have a nice day. Oh, hi, Mark. It's delicious. <laughs> oh, my God. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Big Fat Cult movie podcast. My name is Chris Mayo. I'm an actor, a writer, a comedian, and a lover, seeker-outer, appreciator of weird and wonderful films. Every episode, I send my guest a list of films from trashy underground horror all the way through to critically acclaimed cult masterpieces and ask them to pick a film for us to discuss on the podcast. We break each film down into a number of categories. Those categories are sex and nudity, gore and violence, acting, WTF moments, special effects, and writing. And then we give each of those categories a rating out of five, as well as our overall opinion on the film, our favourite scenes, our favourite characters, some recommendations for other films that you might like. And then at the end of each episode, my favourite part, we set each other a five-question quiz based on the film that we have just seen. And, you know, if you want to take part and uh, prove that you know more about the film than me and my guest, which, let's face it, is quite likely, you're very welcome to do that as well. If you want to get involved in the podcast, you can tweet at Big Fat Cult. Let us know what you thought about the film, or if you have any suggestions for future films that you'd like us to cover. You can also tweet me at Chris underscore Mayo. And most importantly, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And if you'd like to give us a nice review or rating on iTunes, that would be really appreciated. This week, my guest is Cliff Barnes. Cliff is host of the Devil Times 5 Horror Podcast, where Cliff and some comedians look at subgenres of horror, from haunted houses to ghost stories to musical horror to jallo and loads more. So go and check that out. There is a link in the description. Cliff is a huge film fan. The man knows his stuff and... And what better guest to have on to talk about this week's film. A film that is very much on the other end of the cult cinema scale. It's weird, it's wonderful, it's funny, it's disturbing, it's political, it's everything you could want from a piece of cult cinema. It is Alejandro Hodorowsky's The Holy Mountain. You know you cannot escape death, but immortality can be obtained. We must unite our forces to assault the Holy Mountain and rob its wise men of their secret of immortality. As always, we will be going into the film in a lot of detail, which means that there will be spoilers ahead. So if you haven't seen The Holy Mountain and don't want to know what happens, then hit pause now, go and seek it out and come back when you've watched it. Otherwise, sit back, relax and enjoy episode three of the Big Fat Cult movie podcast. Hey Cliff, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hello, funny meeting you here. How's I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How's your uh, isolation life? Are you having a lovely time? I am. I'm very much enjoying it. I've managed to keep myself extremely busy. Good. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing a doing a Sunday night um, live horror quiz on Facebook Live. Well, he's already you know. got a plug in. Amazing. Yeah, as you know, because you've been attempting to play along. <laughs> attempting being the crucial word. Oh, I've definitely been playing along. That's the 100% I've been playing along. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like this point in the show where I should bring up the leaderboard and see where you are, but you know, <laughs> it's your show. So. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we can edit that bit out and uh, make, make me sound like I'm doing really well. <laughs> yeah, so um, have you been watching a lot of films? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I always try and watch at least one film a day. 
in normal life. And that's uh, easy when I was commuting to work because, uh, you know, I can watch half on the train up and half the, the other half on the train back. Yeah. So what I've been doing during lockdown in uh, Monday to Friday is I'll watch the first half of the film during my lunch hour and then the second half as soon as I finish work. And so it gives me gives my day structure. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, it's the, the structure is better though because I don't have to get up um, uh, <laughs> yeah. before 6am anymore. Nice. Um, what's the best film you've seen this lockdown? Have you got a favourite? Um, not counting rewatches because I've seen some, yeah, absolute classic bangers again yeah, on rewatch. Yeah. Extraordinary, the Irish supernatural comedy is oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And um, I watched a thing, a pervy um, Romanian film, I think it is, that Touch Me Not, which came out in uh, 2018. Okay. And it's a very meta kind of breaking down fourth walls all over the place. And uh, it's a bit, you know, it's one of these European sex dramas about people trying to figure out how to, <laughs> how to fuck. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and what's your uh, relationship with um, cult films? Cult being a very broad term, of course, but weird, weird and wonderful films. What, what's your stance on them? I think probably all started when I was 10 or 9 or something and An American Werewolf in London was shown on BBC One. Nice. With only, only a few cuts to language. And <laughs> <laughs> got me into horror at that young age. But, you know, I've... I've it's more, I guess it's more when did I fall out of love with mainstream films? And I can pinpoint it to the time I went um, to the cinema to watch Independence Day. And okay. I thought... Literally Independence Day. You were like, I'm going going my separate ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute crap. And I'm, I didn't watch another Hollywood film for years after that. Okay. Certainly not, not a new release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there have been a few more recently because... Um, I don't know. I think, I think in more recent years, there's, there's been more interesting directors coming through the Hollywood machine. Yeah. Um, making studio films, but you know, I'll still avoid all that. I've never watched any of those Marvel films or anything like that. So, you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole other three hour podcast. That's a, that's a, that's a whole different cult. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, uh, what are some of your favorite cult films? What? Where to start? I mean, American Wealth still has a massive place in my heart. Um, uh, you know what? I like a lot of musicals. If you look at my top 20 films ever, there's a lot of musicals, like from okay. the, main, the mainstream ones like Oliver and Grease, but also um, Dancer in the Dark, The Wicker Man. You know, um, it's not strictly a musical, but Ill Manners, the film that Plan B made. Okay, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, does it count as a cult film? I don't think it's got much of a following at all, <laughs> but it should do. It's incredible. And Dancer in the Dark is the bleakest the, film oh, i think man. i've ever seen it's the first film <laughs> that sort of made me cry but to the point of not being able to cry where it was just so horrific yeah i've um i don't know if a film has ever made me cry but <laughs> well you fam famously have no soul no i do not have a soul it's true <laughs> um but i i can if i'm trying to describe what happens in dancer in the dark to someone i can sort of feel a bit of a choke in my you know in my voice because it's like it's so so heartbreaking yeah and it's got songs, so you know it's got a bit. Got Amazing a bit of songs, and that's what makes it so incredibly heartbreaking. Is like some of the songs in that the that um, I've seen it all, where she's like, "Yeah, I'm going blind, but huh, I've seen everything. It doesn't matter." It's like, yeah. oh, so sad. You haven't seen everything. You've seen some like some pretty scenery in Denmark, <laughs> yeah, and some <laughs> and, a, and some factories and some yeah. yeah. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, I need to w watch that again when I'm mentally prepared <laughs> speaking of mentally prepared a nice segue into the film that we're going to try and dissect for the next hour or so what did you think of 
The Holy Mountain. Oh, when when did you first uh, become aware of the film? So I first watched it on 11th of March 2013. <laughs> <laughs> we all we all know where we were when the day Cliff watched The Holy Mountain for the first time. <laughs> it was a Monday. <laughs> so I imagine Oh god, that was a tough I, start to the week. Well, I imagine I'm do you think so? It's not it's not a dark bleak film, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a joyful, a joyful thing. <laughs> yeah, I, so I guess, I guess, like I was saying, I probably watched first half on the train to work and the second half on the train back. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember watching it at home the first time. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Then I bought the Blu-ray, watched it again, and then watched it again just a few days ago. I, I, every time I've loved it exactly the same amount. It's brilliant. It's It's wild. It's incredibly creative and inventive and colourful and mad and incomprehensible at times and <laughs> yeah. and it's just an onslaught of weirdness yeah i'm gonna read the imdb uh synopsis because i can't even begin to try and describe this film in a key to paragraph so this is what imdb says in a corrupt greed-fueled world a powerful alchemist leads a christ-like character and seven materialistic figures to see the holy mountain where they hope to achieve enlightenment which i think is you know at the very very base level sort of describes makes it sound like an adventure yeah i mean there's there's loosely a plot um my first thoughts were just the first time i watched it i just couldn't quite believe what was happening (laughs) every single frame there's about 20 things happening you kind of have to pick which one you want to try and watch and, and figure out but um but yeah it's um an incredible piece of filmmaking and um directed by alejandro podorowski Written by Alejandro Hodorowski, stars Alejandro Hodorowski. I think he had some part in the editing as well, and lots of other things uh, he's listed. Yeah, it's an incredible piece of filmmaking, as close to a masterpiece, I think, as you could get in terms of content, in terms of cinematography, in terms of the amount of stuff that they actually managed to pull off. On a budget as well. Yeah. $750,000, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, It was going to be... <laughs> it was going to have a bigger budget if George Harrison starred in it, but yes. um, but having read the script, Harrison said that he didn't he didn't want he didn't like the scene where he has to show his anus, <laughs> and Hodorowsky said you have to show your anus, it's important, <laughs> and Harrison said well I'm not doing it and withdrew his his finances. <laughs> Contract subclause B, uh, you have to show your anus. Did did you enjoy it any more the second time or the sorry the the more recent time that you watched it or did you um. I, li- I, I literally think it's, it's just exactly the same every time. Exactly the same. Exactly yeah. the same. I gave it 91% and, and 0.3 every time. Every time. It's one of those films where because so much happens, you forget a lot of what, a lot of what happens. Yeah. Um, and because there's, I mean, because it's so sort of free form and yeah, okay, there's a story, but it's not traditional structure. So like like a bit like Lucho Fortress of Beyond, every time I watch that, it feels fresh because you just can't remember what happens from one scene to the next. And I think that's the key to why I enjoy both scenes, both films exactly as much every time I watch them. It, yeah, it sort of loosely covers a lot of religion ideas and um, commercialism and ideas about beauty and the self and, and all this kind of stuff but in a very broad <laughs> crazy way with lots of so much stuff happening that we would need about six hours to uh, try and figure out exactly what's happening in every scene yeah i think it's like um a kind of epic fantasy a bit like kind of lord of the rings sort of thing but with satire and 
um, sex and drugs and yeah, yeah. explode it's, it's exploding people and jaguar it's a tits journey and- <laughs> with lots of characters who all have their own thing and they go up a hill yeah yeah but in a third of the time of lord of the rings (laughs) that's impressive in that respect um so for each film that i'm looking at i'm breaking them down into six categories um sex and nudity acting gore slash violence wtf moments writing and uh special effects and then overall rating at the end um so we'll attempt to work through those as as we go there's not really that much sex in this film there's a lot of nudity though there is uh there is there is a lot of nudity there is also, i think there's a fair amount of sex it's just that it's it's doesn't seem prurient it feels really naturalistic natural and um yeah unsexy yeah kind of just like his some people having sex because this is a film about humans and that's what they do it's not like you know there's a there's a big gay orgy in the middle of it <laughs> yeah you might blink to miss yeah. it <laughs> and for a film that is so um out there and crazy it's it's fairly tame in that respect i suppose and a lot of the nudity is there for uh, you sort of forget it's there after a while because there's so many so many naked people on screen well exactly i mean does that mean it's restrained it's there's so much of it you forget yeah i mean yeah i don't i don't think it's um exploitation style or even eroticist eroticized style nudity and sex it's just this is a film about the human condition Obviously, there's going to be loads of naked bodies and people fucking in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you uh, are you a fan of Khodorovsky in general? Are you, do you like his other films? Uh, yeah, I've only seen three of his uh, films. In th- no, four. No, no, hang on. I've seen yeah three other of his films. El Turpo was the first, but that was a long time ago. That's when it was yeah. on BBC Two. But I, saw, I don't remember much of that. And I didn't like it, but then I was young. Yeah, I rewatched it recently. Uh, the first time I saw it, it was one of the first kind of non-conventional films that I'd seen and I remember liking it a lot more back in the day um, and then having rewatched it uh, a couple of weeks ago it's not that interesting really I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of violence and um, it's I remember it being as being quite a sort of brown looking western yeah is that right yeah beige a beige film some good moments but um but yeah it's not certainly not his his best yeah, um, and Santa Sanga, his, which is like the closest thing he's made to a horror film, that's really good. Yes, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Disturbing and weird, and feels most like a kind of complete film. Like it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it shares a lot of um, a lot of kind of tropes and ideas with with the Holy Mountain. I think. Um, I mean, there's so many animals and so many disabled, <laughs> so many disabled people. He's got a thing about. Um, he's got a thing about amputees. There's, amputees. There, there's always an amputee. Just generally disabled people, animals alive and dead. Yeah. Cut up and yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, he's genuinely. I've watched a lot of uh, documentaries and interviews with him of the over the last week, and he's genuinely. He seems like a lovely man, but he seems absolutely insane as well. His head is full of so many ideas, and mm. uh, it's just a miracle that this film just got made. I mean, it just seems staggering the amount of stuff that happens, the amount of costumes, the amount of characters. It's madness for 1973 as well. This came out yeah he came out of a surrealist art collective didn't he so yeah apparently he apparently used to make theater which is uh yeah. something i would have loved to have seen i mean god knows how he <laughs> pile a load of animals <laughs> and human carcasses into a uh into well, a fringe theater, I, I, but... I doubt that the theater was or his early earlier films um are not as uh exciting 
they're a bit more kind of um, oblique and even more oblique, but a bit more hard going, I think, try to try and get much enjoyment out of. I think my favourite bit of, um, or my favourite bit exploring sex and nudity has got to be the um, the scene with the, the love machine. The love machine. <laughs> which oh, is amazing. One of the, I don't, it's just one of the funniest, um, funniest, most surreal scenes, which has a point to make about men not being able to uh, yeah. find their way around a woman's body successfully. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just mad. It's got nudity it's got statements about technology it's just very you know the film is very ahead of its time even if it's completely fucking bonkers it's um very very <laughs> very very funny i don't don't forget the uh the ice sculpture cock and balls uh, if that counts as nudity which you know that was probably about a grand's worth of budget for yeah. <laughs> you know three seconds of footage of two <laughs> women funny. stroking an ice cock <laughs> ice cock that is an ice cock yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and ice yeah <laughs> what about whether um fon's elderly dad fingers the, <laughs> the mummified corpse of his mum to find out if <laughs> if it's a yes or a no in the factory <laughs> that a, uh, i thought it was supposed to just be like a mannequin like in in fabric like a kind of no it's meant to be mummified it's meant to be a mummified woman oh okay yeah if if she's moist it's yes if she's dry it's no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it yeah and the woman with the green pubes oh, doing a man. doing a tubs from the League of Gentlemen style yeah. dance around the room whilst riding a mechanical horse, uh, <laughs> uh, and then going for a piss on a six foot toilet. It's you know yeah. it's it's uh, anyone listening to this who hasn't seen the film. I mean, firstly go and see it. It's incredible. You know every every single thing that you try and explain about this film sounds completely ludicrous. I mean, I, I wrote down some. The quotes from the director's commentary and one of them is something along the lines of um my dream is to dangle off a two meter toilet <laughs> <laughs> well you know he's he's living the life that we all wish we had <laughs> but it was it, it goes on to say something about um if everyone shat from two meters high <laughs> you could you, you could use that to generate electricity well, it's, it's certainly a theory yeah <laughs> don't know if it has any scientific um <laughs> basis in truth but um yeah uh hit me up whenever you want another quote from his uh, director's commentary i've got some good ones how about um i invented ear cocaine <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean yeah it's something that didn't catch on which is a shame really yeah. it's... oh here's one relating to sex and sex anyway james bond is a pervert superman is a pervert Superman, imagine him with a woman. He would have an ejaculation so big that it would destroy her body, exit through her brain, and destroy a building. <laughs> um. That's why he was not hired to direct Man of Steel. <laughs> uh, imagine, you know, just be because he uses his family in the film. Yes. I guess segueing into the acting side, um, a lot mm. of those actors were not actors. No, not actors I mean, there's they? about. There must be, I don't know, about 5,000 extras in this film. Every scene, there's <laughs> 50 people in the background dancing or running around or being shot or falling over or staring, confused. I know that's they didn't even get permission to film a lot of the scenes, like the scene when the, the helicopter lands in the middle of the town. <laughs> they didn't have permission to do that. But actually, that because it's because these are mostly real people or people of, uh, you know, limited acting, it actually reads really well. Like, it doesn't look like they can't act... No, and do you notice that I think, I, I'm not entirely sure this is 100% the case all the way through, but I think Hodorowsky is the only person who actually speaks on screen. Everyone else is just dubbed 
um, without without them even speaking on screen. They're not they're not even moving <laughs> okay. their mouth. That's interesting. I mean, it you know makes perfect sense. But again, from the again from the commentary, um, this is how they cast some of the people who appear. And I, the, you know, the guy who's uh, <laughs> the guy who's, who's uh, right, tied down to a big circular yes. table and has one of his one or two of his nads cut off. That he was cast uh, according to Hodo by. I asked my gay assistant to find me a boy with big <laughs> testicles. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, yeah, friends in high places. And I was thinking that the absolute worst thing that could happen when an actor has a pair of sharp scissors on your balls is for the director to shout cut. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it seems like he didn't even he, shout action or cut at any point. He just. Well, I don't know. You know, there's some of these things that surprised me actually watching it um, again, how clearly sta- yeah, set up some of these things are. Like the scene early on at the carnival where the, that crowd is carrying um, all these crucified skinned goats. Then there's a shot of all the skin uh, from below of all the skinned goats going past, but that's obviously they've been mounted on a vehicle yeah. because they're not being bobbed up and down as if they're being yeah. carried in that scene. So yeah, it was some effort, <laughs> some real effort. Well, you can tell from the sea, there's the scenery and the sets, the uh, and the props and uh, loads of effort. Oh yeah, into no, this. absolutely. Going back to uh, to to make sure we've got a you know an official score for all of these topics. Um, how how would you rate the? Um, I mean, <laughs> this this could go either way in terms of what what you think this means. But what, how would you rate the sex and nudity in this film? Not in terms of how much you enjoyed the tits. <laughs> not in terms of angle of the dangle. Well, I was going to say a three because it's 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 not sort of a film you'd want to watch. To you know, get no. your rocks off. But if you say how it's handled and what it adds to the film, then I, I would go. I'd go for a four. Then in that case, yeah, I think uh, I think four is is fair there as well. And of course, for the love machine scene alone, that's that's getting my my four rating. Very uh, good educational tool for for any uh, any men out there. <laughs> in terms of acting quality, what would you would you go out of five? Well, I mean, their performances are deliberately over the top and sort of pantomime-like, and they're yeah very broad, and they've got ridiculous costumes on, and um, they're non-actors, so obviously the acting is not going to be. <laughs> you know, we're not talking Björk and dancer in the dark, are we? No. Did you did you um did you know about the backstory of the the actors were kept in uh, with Hodorowsky for? A month, and they went into oh, some... the main, the main um, pilgrims. Yeah, and they yeah, went into yeah, some yeah. weird meditative trance, and um, apparently they all they all started going mad and uh, dem- uh, bringing in drugs and stuff. And mm. um, well, you know what? I think those people that go up the mountain are quite boring. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's the... once once they once you've met them and the, you go on the journey with them, they're not very interesting. And also, then they all sh- shave their heads. And you can't tell them apart from each other anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because the, uh, the the supporting cast, the extras are so good, I've gone for three and a half. Yeah, we might have a lot of similar scores actually. Yeah, considering they're not actors primarily. Although I think the 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 lead guy is is um is fun to watch. The thief. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, and Hodorowsky is brilliant. Yeah, the best hairline of any film character. <laughs> um, I mean, he's just, it, yeah. That was a trying time in my life with my hairline. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Neither um, one thing or another. Yeah, he's in El Topo as well, or he is El Topo, I believe. But yeah, he, he definitely holds the part of a mad, wise man very well. No, he's he's really good in this. I think, yeah, I think 3.5. Did you say 3.5? Yeah. Yeah, I think 3.5 is... 
is fair. I mean, it must have been a gruelling shoot just having all that stuff. I mean, there's well, they're just subjected to loads of horrible physical stuff, aren't they? It's, yeah, insects all over you. Oh, God, yeah, insects. Been absolutely drowned in um, whatever that plaster of Paris, whatever it's called, is. Yeah. You know? It didn't sound like the safest of shoots from what I read online as well. That's one of the things I love about 70s movies, you know, it's just like, fuck health and safety. Yeah, the actors generally know what they should sign up for. You hear of very few films where the actors actually walked off because what was being asked of them was too demanding. Yeah. Um, I think um, Sweet Movie is an example of that. I think the second half of Sweet Movie just like completely changes because they lost the, <laughs> the main actress. Oh, I didn't know that one. I mean, the room, the room is a good example of <laughs> people. Oh, did someone leave during that? Oh, I think well, half the crew quit and um, they replaced uh, a couple of the actors and the, the right. Greg Sestero was originally the line producer and then he took over the role because they didn't like the other guy. <laughs> but they kept shooting the other guy's scenes for about a week. They shot both characters, both actors in the same part. And then after that week, we're like, yeah, it's the reason we've been shooting it with two <laughs> actors, the same <laughs> scenes, and you've never been in the same room together. Okay, mm-hmm. so acting, uh, 3.5, that seems yeah. seems fair. Um, mm-hmm. Then we move on to gore slash violence, of which there is a lot in this film, I would say. There is quite a lot. It's, it's kind of meta a lot of the time. Like, it's not realistic. No, um, exactly. And especially that amazing massacre scene down, down some sort of back street, yeah, 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 yeah. Paint and fruit and vegetables. Yeah, I mean, they start off by hosing down everyone with fake blood yeah. so that it looks like they've been shot. Yeah, well, that, that that's a scene that you could definitely see in uh, a theatre. Like, that's kind of theatre yeah. levels of invention oh, yeah, yeah. with, uh, you know, how can, we, how can we stage this massacre and make it look real but abstract at the same time? People with um, fruit and foliage and stuff <laughs> taking place of their insides. And yeah. Then I, lo- I love that bit where there's the girl who's um, got those sort of pipes att- attached to her head to make it look like her, bl- her eyes are bleeding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the um, the soldier pulls someone's head off and then a little skull pops up. <laughs> <in this place. laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> but yeah, that, that seems like, you know, something that would you know, happen in a very modern meta film. So that feels very ahead of its time in that. And, you know, they could have done loads of horrible gore bits in there, but it's just a really interesting, um, fun way to shoot violence, I think. Yeah, probably most of the gore is the dead animals, really. Like I said, skinned goats. Um, there's all those dead chickens up in a tree. There's the... I mean, uh, I think we need to dedicate some period of time to talk about... <laughs> The scene with the toads and the chameleons, which is probably oh, <laughs> the, toad, the great toad and chameleon circus, is incredible. Which is, I I lost my shit for about ten minutes watching that. <laughs> Both I go through every every range of emotions. I mean, <laughs> the, it's a very uncomfortable scene to watch because there are you know animals potentially being blown up, but. <laughs> Up until that, funny. up until that point, it's fucking hilarious. Like something out like Monty Python. It's yeah. just they're essentially recreating a, the Battle of Mexico, is it, or the conquest of Mexico? Yeah, I think. Yeah. With uh, shitloads of chameleons in little outfits <laughs> with spears, gaffer tapes to them, and little hats, and uh, then they wheel in a load of toads in kind of um, <laughs> in robe, robes with little swords and shields. It's just brilliant. Their facial expressions, everything about it is absolutely hilarious. 
They travel over on a fucking boat. Yeah, on a boat. I mean, just that, that scene alone is uh, a reason to watch this film just for the creativity. But then, of course, we hit the uh, controversy of, um, you know, animals being harmed in films, which make, you know, which I think would put a lot of people off from watching this film and other films. But I think from a surrealist point of view and from uh, uh, no other film would... <laughs> be able to create this scene i think it's um yeah and also i'm not entirely 100 percent sure they did actually blow up the live animals there you don't really see any of it up i mean up until the point where the explosions you know everything is kind of faked and there you know there's the blood pouring down that's obviously fake and and then those explosions go off you just see a couple of you do things they flying might be dead around already. they might they might be already dead toads the ones that fly around yes yeah. so there's some the, like, it's not it's not it's a, it's a tricky one because it's clearly uncomfortable they're not clearly not having a lovely time <laughs> oh no 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 there's a lot of dead toads there. yeah but um you know they are uh animals that are used for you know dissection in schools and all, all that kind of thing so it's so fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you're going to go out, you might as well go out in you know a cinematic masterpiece, um, you know, with a little fluffy hat on. It's a very good point. Yeah, it's a difficult one, but as as a scene, and you know, being a film from seventies and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, it's yeah, because I've watched the film two times in preparation for this, and then I watched the first twenty minutes today uh, before the podcast, which I th- still think the first twenty minutes is some of the best. The best opening twenty minutes of like any film. Well, that whole that whole kind of carnival scene it doesn't let up. We should probably mention the uh, bit where the thief gets the uh, its tumor cut open and an octopus pulled out of it. Yes, that I uh, I so I, the first time I watched it, I watched it with a friend over FaceTime, and he just went, "Was that a squid?" I was like, <laughs> um, "I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know what's happening." It reminded me of um, Have you seen the Manitou? No. It's a film about a woman who um, gets a sort of tumor in her neck that grows. And grows and grows. It turns out she's um, host to a Red Indian witch doctor. <laughs> it's growing it's out. It's a fear it? we all have. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> and what, what's the outcome? Oh, the outcome is that um, the hospital catches fire and she goes out. <laughs> she goes into space on a bed and shoots lasers out of her tits. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, this sounds like good, wholesome yeah. fun. Uh, another one to add to the list. I think she might shoot lasers out of her eyes, but she's definitely naked oh, when well, it happens. I'm not interested then. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the uh, violence is very sort of metaphorical. People having paint, like, you know, shot and paint comes out. There's a lot of birds flying out of wounds and mm. flowers growing out of wounds and stuff. It's quite, um, there's not actually that much horrific stuff. Perhaps the most horrific one is towards the end where Hardo asks, um, I think the thief, no, asks one of them, one of them anyway, to chop his head off because he's come to the end of the journey. And yes. he swings the axe down, and it turns out he's just chopped a lamb's head off. Yeah, and uh, which just appears uh, yeah. mysteriously. Apparently, he nearly got beheaded in that yes. scene. <laughs> <laughs> because they were all on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Massive fucking sword, which appears out of nowhere. <laughs> imagine the risk assessment on this film. Imagine being, imagine being the first AD on this film. and just. Uh... I don't think the word risk assessment <laughs> had ever been invented in 1973. <laughs> So, okay, so, so rating uh, the gore and violence in, in The Holy Mountain? Uh, I am giving that a uh, four because it's so inventive, if not actually traditionally gory in the way we'd normally understand it. Yeah, I think um, 
if you just see and hear about bits of this film, you would expect it to maybe be a bit more exploitative and a bit more extreme. And the first time I watched it, a lot of it did feel very intense and, and graphic. But actually, when you watch it in more, it's not that violent. It's not that um, bloody and, and horrible. Yeah, I yeah I would agree on, on four, just for inventiveness and, and how it looks on camera as well. Uh, and now we move on to <laughs> the category, which I have uh, a dossier <laughs> of information for. <laughs> WTF moments. Well, I tried to sort of transcribe what was happening on screen wow. as some of the stuff happens. Uh, so I will read you um, some of my favourite WTF moments. Here we go. In no particular order, some of my favourites, um, as we've already said, cuts his neck and pulls out an octopus slash squid. But we've we've uh, confirmed that was now an octopus. <laughs> Meanwhile, a camel is chilling in the background. So there's a lot of there's loads of animals that are just there who you know just they've got them for the day and they're like okay we need to well, we paid ten grand for this camel. Man goes for a shit in a pot whilst a naked woman plays the cello and a pelican wanders around. Then through through some mad burning ritual with bellows and chemicals, the shit is turned into gold. That uh, you know, that's an entire film in itself. But I think this is all. Uh, I mean, as everything is happening, I'm just, what is what is happening? Why is this happening? And the man going for a shit in a pot with the bellows thing is like some deleted scene from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Just <laughs> mad shit happening. You know what? My wife did say this is like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, I think if, we were uh, watching it on Sunday. Yeah, if um, you know, if Gene Wilder had been in the Holy Mountain, you know, I think we would have had. The, the perfect film. I think we would have, you know. Santa Dwarves, I've written down. Uh, have you missed, you've missed um, paedophile priests give, uh, takes his eye out and gives it to a child? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's saying something about the film where I thought that was not quite as weird <laughs> as some of the other stuff. Um, woman in curlers, pleasuring a guy with a fake hand, riding a mechanical horse, uh, doing a dance in her underwear, showing off her green pubes whilst going for a piss in a high toilet and singing. <laughs> Like everything is a what the fuck moment, basically. Well, can I? I think it's easier to say what isn't a what the fuck moment. <laughs> yeah. And I think the only bit of the film that I find a little bit dull is after we've after the uh, everyone's burnt their money and their effigies of themselves. Yeah. There's a bit where they just trudge around the fields for a while, taking psychedelic drugs, being yeah. sick. Yeah. And it's a little bit ordinary, and it's like, oh, where's all the where's all the exciting sets gone? They're just outside in the fields. Yeah, that's that's the bit where it kind of takes a dip, I think, because it's a, a, it's, bit, a yeah. two, it's approaching it's about an hour and fifty five two hours yeah. this film, and uh, it sustains the energy and the madness for most of it, and then at that mm. point they're trying to tell the serious style, you know. Yeah point of the story i guess and that's when it kind of loses yeah unfortunately once then the next thing they get on the boat and it gets a bit good again and then they yeah. arrive on the island and it gets great again yeah um, yeah, yeah just, just that, that 10, bit in, 15 minutes sort of in, yeah just where they're just in a field yeah is, yeah no agreed agreed um what so what's, everything what's, else is a what the fuck moment yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you have a moment where you just were genuinely like astounded at what you were seeing was there anything that sticks out particularly as a fucking oh, hell where do I start <laughs> You know, you know that. Well, okay. So one bit from the beginning, one bit from the end. The bit from the beginning, where uh, the the big effigy of Jesus that the thief is carrying around just suddenly starts eating its face and it's a cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was watching that thing. Is that supposed to be wax? Is it supposed to be a cake? <laughs> and it's just come from another mad scene where a priest is in bed with the statue and just starts making a noise like a crow and running around. <laughs> he suddenly magics up loads of balloons and sends it off into the sky. I just want to know what happened to that statue, where it landed, <laughs> yeah. what happened. 
I bet, I bet the NASA I bet report for that day was. Um, <laughs> I bet there's a denomination of Christianity that is completely dedicated to the day that in 1973 that a massive Jesus without a face fell out of the sky. <laughs> do you know if there were any like protests about this film? Or do you know if there was any outcry yes. about the religious stuff? Yeah, I do. Um, when he showed it, he, he submitted it to the Cannes Festival, and um, they have. They have to say what country it's representing or what country it's from. And Mexico, the Mexican government didn't want him to say it was a Mexican film. It was um, released cut by 40 minutes in Mexico originally. Just uh, okay. Um, not, I don't know what was cut, just to make it a bit less weird, perhaps. Yeah. Or less, take out the more controversial stuff about the army, perhaps, right, I would right, imagine. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, obviously now it's like seen as a classic piece of Mexican cinema. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so another favourite what the fuck moment from towards the end is where that um, <laughs> there's that hermaphrodite bloke with half a beard, tits and a yes. cock, yes, and tiger heads for tits. <laughs> yeah, it it says something about how suddenly... mad this film is. I was like, what uh, what animal is that? <laughs> Yeah, in one shot he's got normal woman's tits, yeah. and then in the next it's suddenly two tiger heads with loads of milk coming out of them. Yeah, I thought they were leopards, but I'm I'm happy to. Oh uh, yeah, that, you're right. There, I think they are leopards. Yes, <laughs> there is a tiger. Um, there is a tiger in that scene. A, as well. And there's every, every fucking animal is in this film. <laughs> it's like the Noah's Ark of uh, mad shit. A couple of good what the fuck moments from the director's commentary as well. One is um, where he says, "Aside from living in my shoes, I'd like to live on or live on an elephant." <laughs> Well, he's and, got one. He's got one. Yeah, knocking yeah, around. Yeah. And this one always made me go, <laughs> really? <laughs> Did you just say that? He goes, uh, with a scene with the man covered in tarantulas, he goes, this man, meaning the actor, this man was very scared of spiders <laughs> and not, and not because he was homosexual. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's a famously disputed fact, but um, <laughs> yeah, he's mad, isn't he? Completely oh. mad. For me, what the fuck moments, it's got to be five out of five. five. Got to be five. The whole film, I was, you know, just, I mean, just so many questions about how it got made, um, how you even begin to write something like that, how, you know, even with all the money in the world, like how you physically get all those things happening on camera and all those people, you know, I don't imagine he had a team of, you know, 3000 people working for him on this film. There must have been a lot of set constructors. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's just the amount of props and the amount of costumes. Yeah, some prop creating jobs must be so much fun. Probably like the, <laughs> yeah. the most fun. This and Harry Hill's TV burp. Probably yeah, the most yeah, fun yeah. a yeah. prop man could ever have. <laughs> and they, those two uh, bits of media will never ever be mentioned in the same sentence again. <laughs> and then on to the writing, which is probably a much smaller section of the podcast because there's about <laughs> twenty five words, I think, in the in the film. Because the first sort of 20 minutes there's virtually it's no dialogue silent, there. Yeah. it gets into a bit more detail with the when they start going into the uh, the warehouses and they start talking about all the different the, 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 wep- the weaponry people. and the planets do you like the fact there's no dialogue at the beginning or so when you're saying writing do you mean dialogue or do you mean right the writing of the whole thing it can be both because i mean the, i think that the, the dialogue the monologues in the planets section is great there's some very funny reveals yeah. About what, what it is that each of these people does for a living, how they make their money. The journey to the mountain is less well written in terms of dialogue and, and the film itself. The, <laughs> there is some funny stuff once they get to the Pantheon bar and meet the people who didn't manage to make it up to oh, the mountain. Oh, yeah, I love that scene. And then 
the beginning and the end is just all mystical nonsense that so this is interesting from the commentary um Hoddo said that he based the a lot of the film around the tarot the tarot cards yes and that. Uh, yeah he's a big fan of tarot I think. except he says that he he'd only just learned about it and thought that he could create some new tarot cards for the film to make it a bit better um and wishes now that he'd that he'd not done that that he'd stuck to the you know the official tarot and restricted himself in that way i mean i think it's well written it's not traditionally written by any means it's not got uh, <laughs> it's not got a normal storyline yeah, um, yeah, yeah but he's obviously got something that he wanted to set out to do and i think he does it and it's full of surprises and what i think that's the beauty of a well-written film is that it's full of surprises yeah i think the the comedy dialogue is really sharp and really political and very very funny the you know the uh, voiceover stuff less so the kind of maybe the spiritual stuff is a little bit over egged and a little bit bordering on the pretentious side but i think with the <laughs> actual <laughs> but with the actual you know when it actually gets into the characters and the um social commentary is very very funny but the spiritual stuff i, I sort of give the benefit of the doubt to just because it's an area that i am clueless about like yeah have you seen mother aronofsky's yes. mother yeah yeah so the first time I watched that, I absolutely loved it, uh, but I didn't get what it was doing at all. No, I didn't. It seems no. so obvious now, but just because I have no kind of grounding in religion or spiritualism or anything, it just didn't even occur to me. So Yeah, no, no, I, I just sort of uh, looked it up immediately afterwards and was like, oh, yes, of course, yeah, that's what's so happening. Obvious, yeah. <laughs> but it also is, you know very enjoyable without that knowledge so it's sort of um yeah in, in both cases i think so i wonder if you were like a tarot type expert and watched the holy mountain you'd get more out of it i don't know yeah yeah no it's possible but i think also you know what um uh, hodorowsky actually believes and and thinks is you know he's he's on his own planet as well i think so i'm sure a lot of that stuff is straight from his mind and his personal philosophies so um which is interesting as well but yeah i would say for the, for the comedy and uh, uh say overall 3.5 for me yeah i've given it a four okay yeah so pretty pretty close so far impenetrable but highly creative <laughs> and then we come on to the penultimate section <laughs> special effects of which initially i thought well there aren't any but then when you sort of go into a bit more detail and a bit more loose with the term special effects i suppose yeah i mean the love machines are special effects yeah, I mean, God knows how they made that, constructed it, yeah. managed to get it to ejaculate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, really, any anything that moves um, and isn't just found. Yeah, it's a, on, there's a lot found of, at other location a lot of, or there's a lot of practical effects. Um, yeah, I mean, there are certain things that you would <laughs> kind of like laughable, like with the um, on the boat scene where the thief imagines that he's got the, the dwarf back with him and then it sort of vanishes yeah. and it's like yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's a really <laughs> obvious jump cut yeah but, yeah yeah, yeah. So in that, and those pause sort of terms, and pause and yeah. that's lunch and yeah. we're back in an hour and pause <laughs> <laughs> exactly but i mean you're not watching this film for realism but no yeah i think um I mean, even the you know the amount of Christ statue things that they made so and many. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and just all of that stuff. Um, not technically a special effect, but all the um, bits and pieces that don't need to be there, but make it very impressive. Yeah, like I said, that massacre scene where they sort of call out the special effects and show you 
kind of show you how it's done sort of thing you know yeah 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 this is this is fake blood this is the um the obvious most impressive special effect with the guy that can uh, <laughs> jump through walls i mean how they did that <laughs> <laughs> He conquered the holy mountain horizontally, but not vertically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With a lovely little uh, ding sound effects. It's just, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to work that out for you know a few days now, how they did that. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's, David, it's stuff of David Copperfield, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, and then just the, uh, yeah, so many so many things happening that are impressive. And I think uh, ov- overall it's... Um, uh, special effects or gore or the way stuff is placed on screen and you know made to look like something else or whatever it's um i think this does it very well yeah i've written that uh the special effects mainly consist of destroying animals in various ways but four <laughs> yeah i guess the pyrotechnics and stuff uh, cl- classes special effects as well i'll go four for that as well so uh that is all the uh the categories and then we come to the most important question Four and a half stars overall, uh, which yeah, is... Yeah, same I, I'm, I'm stingy with my stars, let me tell you. <laughs> I've only ever given about, well, fewer than 25 films the full five stars. Okay. Another 60, 80, four and a half stars. So I am stingy with my stars, and this is one of my, say, my top 100 all time, I guess. Yeah, it, um, I started out, so when I watched it a cup for the first time, I gave it four stars, um, briefly went up to five, and then when I remembered that there was that laggy bit in the middle and dropped it down a tiny bit, but still, nonetheless, it's an incredibly impressive, mad, disturbing, uh, <laughs> brilliant film. And also, uh, if Hoddo's claim is true, you'll get to see the first actor who ever painted his fingernails black. Oh, really? Yeah. What's... Uh... It's him. Oh, in the he, film. He, he claims he claims I am the first actor who painted his fingernails black. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure that's strictly true. But, and know, the BAFTA for best actor to paint their fingernails black. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite scene overall? This is all favourite scenes. Um, well, we've talked about them all. The massacre in the alleyway, or whatever it is the yep. carnival. The whole carnival scene is just incredible. What a way to start a film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it's scene three, really, but it's, yeah. it's the one where you go whoa what am i watching yeah Um, and part of that of course is the bit where he wakes up surrounded absolutely surrounded by hundreds of jesus effigies which yeah and potatoes yeah (laughs) but it's one of those things where where you think yeah okay so it's a low budget film uh they've made some jesus statues they've made more jesus how many jesus statues have they made how many fucking jesus how how have they made all these jesus statues in this time yeah low budget film you know um, and my favourite planet person, I really like the scene with Isla, I think, the most, where the uh, she's the weapons maker. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've just put Sex Machine. That's um, I, as, uh, as my favourite. Klein, as Klein my favorite, from Jupiter. Because it's got comedy, it's got absurdity, it's impressive from a design point of view, and it's just completely mad. And, I, yeah, it's uh, it's brilliant. When Loot says, I, I represent Pluto, I did think, that sucks for you. Not even a planet anymore. <laughs> yeah. Did you say, so you said your favourite character, did you? Uh, I haven't said my favourite character. I mean, it is, it is, it is the, the prophet, whatever he calls it, the alchemist, Hodo himself. Yeah, but I, yeah, yeah. But I do have a soft spot for that um, strong man, the champion, who can, <laughs> walk, <laughs> who managed to walk through the mountain. Bing! <laughs> 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 I've just put lady with the green pubes riding a mechanical horse. 
She is excellent. I thought she really committed to that role. <laughs> and I really laughed at the mad priest in the bed with uh, the Christ statue just <laughs> running around. Yes, amazing, amazing. Um, well, now, of course, we've come to the most important part of the podcast, which I'm sure you will be excited by as a oh, fellow quiz. quiz master and, and all that stuff. We've come to the quiz. <laughs> Every episode, both me and my guest will set each other a five-question quiz to see uh, who has been paying more attention uh, when watching our film of choice. How are you uh, feeling confidence-wise, Cliff, as a, as a quiz? Are you feeling good about this? Um, I'm not great at observational. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so we'll see. Also, I know you know one of the answers because you've already mentioned it. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right then. Do you want to go first asking or shall I go first? I will ask first. Okay. Um, when the thief enters the tower, he's bathed by Jodorowsky and the tattooed woman. But which animal is in the bath with him? Oh, in the bath, it's a hippopotamus. It is. Dun, 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 dun. That is probably the only point I will get. So I'm going to cherish it. Thank you for that. Name two of Isla's three arms for the young generation, as in weapons. So Isla is an arms manufacturer... Yes. And she's got a, a range of three for the young generation. Oh, yeah. Name two of them. Uh, oh, it's a tricky one. We'll edit the amount of time I'm thinking down so it'll <laughs> appear like I've just spontaneously thought of the answer. Uh, I'm going to have to admit defeat on that one. I can't think of any of the things. I'm sure I'll kick myself. You could have had psychedelic shotguns, grenade necklaces, or rock and roll weapons. Oh, yeah, I remember now. So, uh, not about the content of the film as such, but which pop star's stepdad, or which other pop star's dad, or which other pop star's granddad was one of the composers? <laughs> oh, composer. Hmm. Uh, it's not George Harrison, is it? No, it was Don Cherry, who is Nana Cherry's stepdad, Eagle Eye Cherry's dad, uh, and Mabel's granddad. Oh, so you could have had Nana Cherry, Eagle Eye Cherry, or Mabel. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have three chances and I fuck them all up there. <laughs> okay. So I've one point so far. All right. What kind of animal's severed head is seen on a chest of drawers in Berg's home? Oh, God. Chest of drawers. Mm, I am going to say monkey. No, it's a severed dog's head just sitting there. Is in it? His... Yeah. What, on like every, every drawer or just one drawer? Just on the top of the, top oh, of the, the top. chest of drawers. Oh, there's so many, so many animals in this film. <laughs> the one I missed. Uh, is that, uh, what was that question for? That was question four. Okay. And question five, what's the name of the anti-Peruvian comic book superhero created by Cell? Something Man. Um, mm, 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 I can see the cover of the thing, but I don't know. No, I give up. It's Captain Captain. Oh, okay. Close. <laughs> okay, one. You've got one to beat. Um, I'm feeling good for you. Bad for me. Question one. What colour outfit is the alchemist wearing in the opening scene of the film? White. No. Black. <laughs> yeah. <Arsles>. <laughs> <laughs> Can only take the first answer, and the, especially with the cockiness that you answered that. <laughs> it was black, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, he wears white for the, the rest the of scene, the yeah. film, or most of the film, yeah. Question two. Name six animals that appear dead or alive in the film. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's a snake. Cell's pet snake. Yeah. Um, there's the dead. There's the severed head on Cell's chest of drawers. <laughs> yeah. That's just in there's one room. Yeah. Tiger. Yeah. There's the tiger that goes up the mountain. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I should have just said six dead chickens on the tree. But, um, chickens on the tree. Yeah. Toad, chameleon. Yes, absolutely. Well done. Question three. What weird gift does an old man give to a child early in the film? His eye or his glass eye. Yeah, that's a um, particularly horrible moment. I like the fact they just went up to someone and went, does anyone here have a glass eye? Yeah, okay. Do you want to be in a film? Yeah, okay. Do you want to play a paedophile? Yeah. <laughs> Question four. How does the main character get to the top of the Red Tower? Uh, it's like a, a moon-shaped hook. Yeah. I'll accept, I'll accept hook, anchor, that kind of thing. Yep, yeah, correct. And question five. How many testicles are in the collection uh, once the castration has been completed? Oh, I think it's, right, it's either 900... No, it's either 1,000 or 100. Um, uh, I'm going to go with 100. Oh, it was a thousand. 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 Ah. No, I mean, every, anyone can collect a hundred testicles. That's just, <laughs> it's just a night out. Uh, three out of five. Well done. Yeah. Nicely done. Of course, they were pretty much at the end, but if you were going to get someone to watch the Holy Mountain, how would you, um, how would you sell the Holy Mountain to, uh, well, to our, our listeners or, um, or a friend or anyone uh, who's unsure about watching it? Um, if you like nice colours and an uplifting ending... like i said at the start it's like lord of the rings but shorter and better (laughs) i think that is you know a perfectly fair summation of the film um i would watch that brilliant so uh would you like to plug anything would you like to tell us about anything you're working on or where where can people find out about uh your podcast and your other bits and pieces so, uh, Devil Times 5 Horror Podcast, once a month, at the end of the month, um, hosted by SoundCloud, but it's available on all the podcasty places, we talk about a different theme of uh, horror, if, yeah, a different subgenre or director or whatever it is, and uh, there's five of us, and we have a laugh, and we don't take it too seriously, it's uh, me and four comedians. Um, it's good. It's really good. I love cool. it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, even if your quizzes are impossibly hard. <laughs> and also, of course, the Devil Times Five Horror Quizcast on Sundays, five thirty p.m. UK time, Facebook Live while we're in lockdown. Are we doing recommendations as well? Yeah. So I guess if if you want to recommend um, some films either similar to The Holy mm. Mountain, or if you like this film, you might also like. Well, I've, I've gone down three directions here. Obviously, the obvious one is to go for more Hodorowsky films. I would totally recommend Santa Sanger. Um, yes. But also The Dance of Reality, which is the first part of his uh, three-film three autobiographical trilogy. Okay. That's a recent one, isn't it? A fairly recent It is more recent. It's, it's the, the low-budget shows. It's not as amazing as The Holy Mountain because yeah. it just doesn't have the technology or the budget to do it. Yeah. But... He gives it a good go. Okay. Um, so that's the dance reality. Endless poetry is the second part. I haven't seen that yet. If you like the animal stuff and the lack of health and safety and everything, <laughs> I just wrote this as we were talking. There's an Italian film called Wild Beasts, which is fucking insane. It's about a, um, a, a city's water supply um, gets PCP in it. And it then sends all the animals in a zoo wild and they break out of the zoo and cause havoc all around town. <laughs> so, I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of chaos that they caused <laughs> making this film. And you can see it. It's all on, it's all there on screen. There's a cheetah chasing a Volkswagen Beetle down like the high, down the really long street. There's elephants crossing a, a runway at an airport. There's, I mean, and there's some really quite dodgy stuff with like, fuck, there's a polar bear chasing a load of 
<laughs> school children down a corridor <laughs> while they're carrying knives. Um, oh, and there's, I mean, it's insane, but it, it's, it's, it's kind of rough, but you just won't believe your eyes. And the other thing that, the, the only things that come close to the Holy Mountain in terms of creativity and weirdness are the cycle of Hong Kong black, mo- black magic movies. Oh, okay, I don't know those either. You know the bit where the where the thief shits into the bowl, it turns into gold. Oh, I know, I know it very so well. So that yeah. that whole process is basically the bulk of these black magic movies because every one of these films, or the best, the best ones anyway, have got long sequences of a sorcerer, a big white bearded sorcerer, yeah. making these amazing potions. And um, I mean, the 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 best of them has got to be the Boxer's Omen, which is almost all sorcery, no bullshit. Okay, but there's there's a load of them. Uh, there's a, we did a podcast called Chinese Black Magic episode, oh, I don't know, eight, nine, ten, something like that. Okay. Um, it's bizarre. If you want wild, inventive filmmaking that's yeah. colourful and bizarre, then that's the place to go because there aren't many, there aren't many holy mountains around. No, no. Oh, fantastic. They sound really good. Um, well, thank you so much for, for that and for uh, joining me on the podcast. And thank you for... Um... Being a pleasure. Yeah, I will uh, I will speak to you very soon. Thank you very much. Cool. Bye, Clef. Thanks, Take Chris. care. See Bye-bye. Ya. Bye. Okay, and that was episode three of the Big Fat Cult Movie Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Cliff about the Holy Mountain. Let me know your thoughts on the film, on the podcast, on Twitter at Big Fat Cult. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please do give us a nice rating and review on iTunes. It really helps get the word out, and we love to reach more cult film fans. Just before you go, I just want to plug one of my own projects. I have co-written, co-directed and starred in two series of a sci-fi, dark comedy, horror, thriller web series called Mother Knows Best. Both series are available on YouTube now if you search for Mother Knows Best web series. Otherwise, you'll just end up watching loads of covers of a song from Tangled. If you like Black Mirror, if you like dark comedy, if you like weird stuff, which of course you do, then um, do check it out. It stars myself and loads of UK comedy actors and comedians, uh, including Norman Lovett from Red Dwarf, Rachel Paris, Tom Tuck, who is on next week's episode, Richard Sandling, who is in a future episode of this podcast, Holly Mallet, who is also in this podcast, basically all of my funny comedy film and TV friends. So if that sounds like your kind of thing, Mother Knows Best, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and of course you can find it on YouTube. In terms of this podcast, the next episode will be with comedian, writer and actor Tom Tuck, and we will be coming together to discuss horror, comedy, street trash. That is a cracking episode. Other films we've got coming up in the series include Chopping Mall, Burnt Offerings, Manos, The Hands of Fate, Poultrygeist, and loads, loads more. If you have any suggestions, do tweet us at Big Fat Cult, and I'm Chris underscore Mayo on Twitter as well, and all details uh, about Cliff and his Devil Times 5 podcast will be available in the description. That's all from me for now. My name's Chris Mayo. Thank you for listening to the Big Fat Cult movie podcast, and I'll see you in another episode very soon. (laughs) 